you would like, you can turn in your Bibles, go to your Bible app on your phone. We're going to begin today in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 19, this is the verse that I left off with last week. Then his mother, this is Jesus, his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That is so important. So we talked about last week how our church is designed by God to be a home. And for some of you, when I say that, that's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your home experience, right? But see, Jesus changes everything, amen? Changes everything and redefines things that we kind of put human definitions on. He redefines it, and really what he has done is that as church is a home, he has made it heaven on earth for all of us, whether our natural homes are good or bad. I mean, he does go on to say that in my father's house, there are many rooms, right? Church, which is us, the people, those that have received Jesus and were following him, we are the church, we are his family, and therefore we belong to him, and so we have our home in him. And so I said last week that really home is not necessarily a place. It's really wherever Jesus is. And so in this verse that I just read to you, in Luke chapter 8, this passage, he says that those that really belong to my family, my mothers and my brothers, are those that just don't hear the word, but actually do it. And James writes in the book of James that we are not to be hearers only, but also doers of the word, right? So there's this, there's this thing that if we belong to God's family, and belong to his house, to his home, the church, then we hear the word, but then we have to muster up what we've learned from hearing the word and then go out and actually do it. And see, that's where I think we're at here as the church as a whole, is we love coming into our buildings on Sunday mornings. We love coming into our buildings for Sunday school and, and Bible studies, and that's all fine and good. But if it stops there, then we have a problem. And I think, at least in America, because I can tell you right now, I know some other churches, I mean, I've been following a church that's in, in the Ukraine um, where they're at right now, they're, they're essentially forced into a situation where they have to now really be the church, okay? And some other churches, like the one that we are partnered with in Scotland, Home Church, they have a lot of hard ground, and Pastor Dave is working really hard by the power of the Holy Spirit to soften that hard ground. But here we are in good old Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, the buckle of the Bible belt, and, and, and we have it pretty good. We're getting comfortable. And what I said last week is being comfortable at home as far as the church is not necessarily a good thing because what that does is it makes us more complacent. And we become routine-oriented, right? 
How many of us like routines? I do. And so when God does something fresh as far as a move of the Holy Spirit or something that he's doing that's new, sometimes we'll miss it because we're so routine-oriented. And that, my friends, is a death sentence for the church as far as church being churches because the church will never pass away. But here we are. Here we are, and we're seeing what's going on in the world. We're experiencing all this craziness, and God wants us not just to hear, but to do. And that, my friends, is where we are today. Why is it that we don't do? Listen, I could sit here and I can kind of assess my life, you know, and say, okay, am I doing enough for God, you know, and am I being Jesus to those around me? Am I making that conscious decision when the Holy Spirit prods me to actually open my mouth or pray for somebody or be there for somebody? You know, am I doing enough? And I'm sure we all make those individual assessments. And I think each and every one of us have an opportunity to grow in that area of doing. Because we're not perfect at it. We have our, our routines, as I've said. We have our lives that we have to live. And, and see, I think some of you think, well, you're the pastor of the church, so it's easy for you because you're in it every day. And I, I've admitted to you last week or two weeks ago that it ain't easy for me. Because honestly, it's probably even harder because I do live it every day from, from 8 to 5. And then when I get out there afterwards and leave this office, leave this building, sometimes I just get like this because it is so hard in here. So for me, I think it's even harder. And so what I'm saying is I'm with you in this. And I think ultimately what happens is, and what God has led me to believe is the main thing that keeps us from extending ourselves and being Jesus to those that are around us is whether or not we feel like we're worthy. Well, see, you know, I have this sin that I'm still dealing with, or, or I, I, I do this that I know I shouldn't be doing, or I have these opinions and these attitudes as we're going to look at here today that Jesus told us not to have that I really don't feel like I can extend myself, like somehow I am not worthy. And I'm going to dispel that lie of the enemy because if you're in Christ if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior then let me tell you friends you are absolutely worthy so with that I'm going to pray Father I just want to thank you for everybody that's in here today those that are watching online Father I just thank you right now that that you have given us Jesus that those of us that have received him as our Lord and Savior Father we have value to you and I'm asking today that as as I'm preaching your word that the words that come out of my mouth highlight that value highlight that worthiness father so that it just makes that ember that's in all of us turn into a blazing bonfire so that we can leave this place not just be hearers of the word but also doers father we pray this right now in Jesus name amen so I've kind of highlighted a little bit before I got into just some a testimony. When, when God called me and my wife Lisa to be pastors of this church, there was this wake-up call of, am I worthy? 
because ultimately what I started to do is go through my spiritual resume, you know. Okay, so I've been part of this church for 25 years. I've attended, well, when SLC was kind of more informal, uh, I attended that for a long time. Um, I've done a lot of Bible studies, obviously. I've been in small groups for a period of time. My wife and I, we volunteered in multiple areas of the church. You know, I just started going through all this stuff. And then I had some people, not in this church, but some people outside the church that knew we were praying about this decision before we made the decision to go ahead and pastor home church, asked me, have you ever been to seminary? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I haven't. Um, <laughs> And so it was just like this, this constant prodding of, am I worthy? Am I worthy? Am I worthy? And, and ultimately, if Jesus calls you, okay, then he's going to equip you, right? And, and believe me, I, sometimes I get up here, and, and I don't know how. I know how. I know that God is working through me into the Holy Spirit. But I don't know how I got up there and preached a, a, a somewhat organized message to you all and there's things that are going on in this church that, that God has given me the privilege to lead that I look back and I'm like I know that's his grace and I know I believe me I know that's his grace and I think some of you you're in here and yes you've agreed to follow Jesus you've received him as your Lord and Savior you're following him you know you're doing your your routine your routine that you do right you've studied the word you pray you you come to church on Sundays like good Christians should but I think a lot of us feel like like me like am I really worthy to minister the gospel because as I've always said it's not just me or someone that's on my staff that's qualified to preach the gospel to lay hands on the sick to be Jesus to those around them, it's also all of you. And so if I'm feeling that way as somebody who has been called to pastor this church, then I can certainly believe that a lot of you and those of you that are watching online probably feel the same way. I don't feel like I'm worthy enough to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And so what I want to do is I want to get into why it is that we are absolutely worthy and we're going to begin in Luke chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Luke chapter 6. Verse 46. I love this passage. I actually alluded to it during the Extraordinary Things series that I preached about a month or so ago. So this is Jesus. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, I love that, and not do what I tell you. Yes, that's funny, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know, Lord, why, why do I not do what you tell me to do? No, he goes, why do you call me Lord, Lord? This, is, this statement right here is, is, is pretty much pointed to all of us, I think, right? Like, we call Jesus Lord. But yet we don't do what he tells us to do. And he's just putting that question out there. He's like, you call me Lord, so why don't you do what I tell you to do? He says in verse 47 that everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. And we break this up a little bit. 
Because in this verse, there's a clue of why we're worthy. Okay? He says, everyone who comes to me. So if you're in Christ, if you receive him as your Lord and Savior, if you're following him, you're, you're in Christ, therefore, you've already come to him. That right there, if you have come to him and you have repented of your sins and you said, Lord, I believe in you, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, then you have come to him. That little phrase right there, what I'm just telling you now, is why you're worthy. Let's just go ahead and just say it right now. That's the only reason why we're worthy. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yes, amen. Then he goes to what we've just talked about. He says, and if you come to me and you hear my word, so I'm preaching the word right now, and you're hearing it, that's awesome, okay? If you're doing a Bible study, if you're studying the Bible on your own, if, if you're listening to a podcast, if you're listening to a sermon that's online, okay, those that are watching online, you're now, you're hearing the word. He says, you hear my words, and then, and then you do them. Then I will show you what he is like. So those of us that are in Christ, we're hearing his word, and we're doing it. That's awesome. This is what you're like. He says that you are like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not, what? Shake it because it had been well built. Jesus talking about building a home. The first thing you do when you build a home is you build a firm foundation, right? When my wife and I built our house 15, 16 years ago, whatever long it was, that's the first thing we saw was they cleared the land, they boom, put the cement foundation on. That's the first thing you do. And the reason why it's a firm foundation, it's a good foundation, is because Jesus is your Lord, he's your Savior, that's the first thing, then you hear his word and you're doing it. See, when tragic things happen, when the trials of this world happen, when things come at us, if we have these three things down, have a firm foundation, that's the reason why the storm comes, the stream breaks, the water comes against it, but you will not fall. You will not be destroyed. As Paul says in Corinthians, you will not be destroyed, you will not be crushed. That's why we need to get this in our hearts. That's why we are worthy, because we recognize this. We see Jesus, we know him, and we're doing what he did. Because on the flip side of that, this is what he says, but the one who hears and does not do them it's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was what? Great. Man, that's why this church is going to remain here until Jesus comes back. Because the very first thing is you look at this concrete floor that I want you to know is that he is Lord. And that is all we need to know. If we have that, if we have him and we do, then the rest is gravy. Because out of that, personally, not just church as home church, but us personally, now we are equipped. Now I am worthy to hear his word and actually do it.
So how is this exemplified? Well, the very next chapter is chapter 7. And it starts out with the centurion. And this, man, I absolutely, I know I say this a whole lot, man. I get, see, when I go home on Sunday, my wife Lisa's like, you say that every time. That every passage, every verse is your favorite. <laughs> yes, I know. Because I guess it just is the whole thing. I mean, the more that I study God's word, the more I get into it, the more the Holy Spirit gives me revelation about it, the more I just fall in love with it, the more that everything just becomes my favorite. I'm, I'm sorry. So, so just add this to the many verses and passages that I have it said in the past. It's my favorite. Thank you, youth. Yes, amen. So, so here's the scene, and I love this. I mean, Jesus says all these things, right? And he's just walking back into Capernaum and he gets approached by, by these religious leaders. And we pick up in verse 1. He sa- uh, it says, after he had finished all his saying in the hearing of the people, what are all his sayings? Well, we go back and take a look at everything he said in chapter 6. Things like, love your enemies, do good to those who, ha- who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That's one thing he said. Uh, he said, be merciful even as your father is merciful. That's another thing he said. Uh, he said, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good so he's referring here to the tree that bears fruit is it good fruit bad fruit well we're a tree that's going to be bearing good fruit amen these are some of the things that he said there's nothing in these things that said where he said lay your hands on the sick and they shall shall recover raise people from the dead cast out demons preach the gospel to every living creature those are the things he said after he resurrected before he ascended And I think sometimes we hear we have to do for him, right? And we immediately go to that that thing. Raise somebody from the dead. Cast out demons. Heal the sick. Where I like to go back to these things. These are just the basic things, right? Like love my enemies. (laughs) Bless those who hate me. How many of us have enemies? Yes. All right? Things like, don't judge. Come on now, every one of us does that. Like, if we can get these little basic things right, let, then the rest is just gravy. Out of, out of this is who Jesus is right here, and out of that compassion for people, whether they hate them or love them or whatever, then out of that he heals them. So these things that he's talking about, after these sayings, in the hearing of the people... He entered Capernaum. There's Capernaum again. So he, as I said last week, Capernaum was kind of his home. That was his home base on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, right on this major trade route between Damascus and Egypt. This is where he decided to make his home, his home base. So now he's coming back into his home base like a boss. Coming back into Capernaum. And this is what happens in verse 2. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. A Roman centurion heathen, Gentile, pagan, uh, worships many gods. He had this servant who needed healing. 
And this centurion, hence the name, is over a century in the Roman military. So maybe 100, maybe 150, somewhere in there. So he has command over a group of men. And it says that this servant was at the point of death and was highly valued by him. See, even the Bible. See, I don't know how you guys read the Bible, but I pick up on things that I'm beginning to pick up a little bit more. The more I spend time in God's word, the more that the Holy Spirit just reveals things to me. But we just, we're, here, we're seeing here what, what the world thinks brings value to somebody. That somehow this servant was a good servant and so he was highly valued. And see, in God's kingdom, doing is not bringing any value to you at all. Like, you could receive Jesus and follow him and love him with all your heart and never do a darn thing. He's still going to love you and value you. But see, here we go. So this servant is valued because he's a good servant and was valued by this centurion. So, verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. The centurion heard about Jesus. That's word of mouth. Okay, it's not like they had cell phones back in the day. It's not like they went up on Facebook or Instagram and checked their status and in their news feed they saw Jesus heals many people. No, they had word of mouth experiences. People that experienced Jesus coming and telling other people about Jesus, telling other people about Jesus, going on and on and on. Hello, if we just open our mouth as a church and just told people about him, how many more would come to know him? That's what's happening. So the centurion has heard about Jesus, heard about his miracles. And so here comes these elders of the Jews. So these are these religious leaders of the synagogue. They're in Capernaum. Coming to the centurion, asking him, asking Jesus, I'm sorry, coming to Jesus and asking him to come and heal his servant. So when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy. He is worthy to have you do this for him. Why is he worthy? Okay, these religious leaders define why he's worthy. Some of you that are in here in this church, some of you that are watching online, think this is why you're worthy. He is worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation, okay? And he is the one who built us our synagogue. He is worthy in their eyes, in religious eyes, because he did something good. No, that's not why we're worthy. I mean, how many people are not in here or any church that preaches the gospel because they feel like they don't do any good and they're not worthy. It's a lie. The enemy will say that you are worthy because you do good. You are worthy because you think right. You do right. You're an achiever. You, you have all these accomplishments, these accolades. You are worthy. You're valued. And what I read throughout the gospel is Jesus chose prostitutes, tax collectors, zealots, fishermen, and they received him as Lord and Savior. They followed him as Messiah. And that is why they were worthy. 
So these Jewish leaders have it wrong. So in verse 6, and Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This pagan Gentile who leads Roman soldiers that occupies their land and oppressing them knows more than the Jewish leaders do about what worthiness is. I am not worthy. And he goes on to say, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Why is that? Because he recognizes that he is unclean. That Jesus, a Jewish man, walks in under his roof, all of a sudden he is now going to become unclean in the Jewish law. What the centurion is essentially saying here is, I'm not worthy because I am a sinful man. Now, I'm about to get into something here. Some of you may agree with this, some of you may not. And I'm not saying definitively that he is. But we're going to watch the process, I believe, of this Roman centurion getting saved. And as we go through this process together and we kind of dissect these next few verses, what, what I believe is going to set some of you free about why you feel like you're unworthy when really, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are worthy. So he says, I am not worthy to come under, have you come under my roof. Verse 7, therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. The servant is nowhere there. Servant is miles away, or just down the street, in a house. And he's saying, just say the word and he will be healed. What is that? That is faith. That is faith. Seeing through the eyes of faith that that servant was going to be healed. Now, he heard about Jesus. Heard about all the miracle signs and wonders, right? He recognizes he's unworthy because he is an unclean man. He is sinful. Don't come into my house. His faith has been built up to the point where he is now saying, and I believe it's a saving faith, that you just say the word and my servant's healed. Only one can do that, and that is God himself. So maybe you're in here today and you're standing on God's word. You need a miracle, and you don't feel like you're worthy enough to receive it. You're not worthy enough for God's goodness and mercy to come upon you, to give you what it is that you've been asking for. Look at the centurion. Look at his faith that we're going to see here in a minute. Marvels Jesus. Translation amazes him. If he does it for him, he'll do it for you. Continuing in verse 7. But say the word and let my servant be healed. Verse 8. For I too 
am a man set under authority with soldiers under me and I say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it for I too am a man set under authority he is connecting the dots that Jesus has the authority to heal has the authority to do miracle signs and wonders has the authority to to do it even though he is a sinner what do the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees say? Who are you? Do you have authority to forgive sins? Only God does. They didn't even recognize his authority. But this Gentile Roman recognized it. Look, I understand authority. I say this and it happens. Translation, I know you have that same authority. You say it's going to happen. This centurion is recognizing he's unworthy, he's unclean, that Jesus can do anything if he just says the word, and that Jesus is the ultimate authority to forgive sins and to heal because he is God. I believe that's what happened here. And what we see here then out of that is why, why we are all worthy is because we recognize that we're unworthy and we recognize that Jesus is worthy. We recognize that by his grace and mercy and only because of that, we are saved. That recognition of that, that that moment, that point of salvation that I pray all of us have had is the reason why we're worthy. I don't understand, and I do, I do, because, not that my parents raised me wrong, but my situation when I was growing up was I had to consistently prove my worth by performance. Because I had people bullying me through grade school. I had um, some difficult situations that I had to work, work through when I was younger, that the only way that I found any peace was to perform, was to do good things, to get pats on the back, right? That's how I got my value. That's how I got my worth. I think in this country, we, 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 we thrive on that. Climb the corporate ladder, right? Do well on my job. <laughs> it's not about performance. You can't do anything To be worthy to God, except recognize that you're a sinner and you need Jesus to save you. When that happens, then you're now in the family of God and you are now worthy. So Jesus goes on and, and listens, continues to listen to this. And it says in verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel. Ha <laughs> ha. Who's Israel? These idiots that are walking around saying, what authority do you have to forgive sin? I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So, will we get to heaven? Will we meet the centurion one day? I believe so, yes. 
And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Faith became sight. Faith became sight. So this morning, it's, it's not about God whipping us to do things, right? It's not the taskmaster. It's like, come on, come on, come on. That's not what it is. Man, when we know that we have worth because we're in Christ, we know how much he loves us, and every day that we go forward and we stumble and fall and we sin, and he picks us back up, the more we recognize how much he has mercy on us, how much he has compassion on us, even today, then the more that should spur us on to understand the worth that he finds in us, the value that he sees in us, because we're his children, that should spur us on actually do. And like I said, it's not just the big things. I don't want you to think that I'm telling you, get out there and start laying hands on the sick everywhere you go. Although that would be awesome. But how about just loving somebody, even when they don't love you back? Man, one of the greatest places you can do that, if I can give you some practical application, is a restaurant. Yeah, I know. We went somewhere yesterday, and the waitress asked us, would you like something, anything else I can get you? You know how they bring you your meal? Is there anything else I can get you? And we were like, yeah, can you get us a couple of ranch dressings, you know, so we can dip our french fries in or whatever. Yeah, we, we like to clog our arteries doing that way. Um, <laughs> Forget about just the fried food, right? Let's just put some ranch all over it. But, of course, she never brought it out. And I remember we were like, well, they never, never brought our ranch out. Uh, didn't bring her. Uh. So I remember writing, writing down the amount of the tip because guess what? They always, if they know you're a believer, they always judge us by, by the, the amount of tip that you leave. Because believe me, I hear about it. I got kids that work at restaurants, and uh, they, they, they know they take those little church invitation cards and throw them right away because they didn't get, get tipped at all. And so why, why is that? So as I'm writing down the tip, Lisa's like, you're going to give her that much? I'm like, yes. Well, we didn't get our ranch. I, I'm just saying, a very easy, practical way of showing God's love to somebody is at a restaurant, right? They don't deserve it. But yet, you know, you know, you have no idea the kind of life that some of these people live and how much love they need to be shown. And one way you can always do it is by giving a little extra on the side of tip, okay? This is something practical to do. So so forget about just laying hands on the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons. Can we just love people? Can we just love those that don't deserve it? Can can we just show Jesus to them by by not judging them and condemning them. And believe me, they know you are by your body language. So how can we loosen ourselves up a little bit is realize where we were before we knew Jesus and where we are now. We didn't deserve him, but we were chosen. And if there's one thing you want to write down right now, this is the phrase that pays, folks. The only confidence that we should have is knowing that Jesus chose us. Chosen. That through all of human history, he saw us. I'm looking at individuals sitting in seats right now, every one of us that have made a decision to believe in him, 
to repent of our sins and receive him as a Lord and Savior, chosen, chosen, chosen. Somehow he saw every one of us individually chosen. That should light a fire under you. Just to do the simple things, let alone the big things. And believe me, when it's time to do the big things, the Holy Spirit will prick your heart. You'll know it. That confidence will come and you will do. But if we start out small, then we're going to be a great church. So, Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to read it again because I want this in your, in your hearts. Nine, verse 19, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my brother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So if I were to go back to this passage, the beginning of it, I want to be those mothers and brothers that there's such a big crowd that I can't even get in to this church. Wouldn't that be awesome? I know all of you love to come early and get your seat, you know. I wish they would open those doors sooner than 930. And as soon as those doors open at 930, you all racing in here to get your seats. Man, I pray, and this has been my prayer, and you guys are going to hate me for it, that one day there's somebody else that you've never seen before sitting in your seats. <laughs> oh I'd love to see some of your faces believe me (laughs) Pastor Jeff I need you to pray for me (laughs) I love you guys those of you that are watching online too you know if, if you need a church home here you are this is who we are and and we're not a family in the sense that we're closed off. We're a community. There's plenty of room. Just like what Jesus said about his father's house, there are many rooms. And we want to fill those rooms, amen? It's going to be a lot more fun when there's more people in heaven. More the merrier. But what you got to know and what you have to understand and what I want you to also get in your hearts is it's not about a spiritual resume. Whether you got pastor by your name, worship leader by your name, kids pastor by your name, communications director, whatever your title is in ministry has nothing to do with the worth that God sees in you. It's not about what you do. It's just about the fact that you are his child. 